So we're in Galatians chapter 1, if you want to find your way there. Galatians, the first chapter. And uh, you might take your bulletin or something and sort of stick it in Acts chapter 9 because we'll eventually be looking there and around there as well. But I'm going to begin reading Galatians chapter 1 at verse 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul is speaking here and he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and to remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said... He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And now, Lord, open our minds to understand the Apostle Paul and what he says here by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit to see the preciousness of the Gospel, its power, its irreplaceability, and why it matters that it is Your Word, not man's Word, that we have as we open uh, this Bible and read the message of Your good news. And we ask that You would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. The conversion and calling of the Apostle Paul is one of the great miracle stories of the New Testament that we often overlook as a miracle. How Saul, and that was his name at the time, a Pharisee, deeply committed to the destruction of the church and the persecution of believers, became Paul, the apostle, deeply committed to the building up of the church and the preaching of the gospel for all who would believe. I mean, what a story! But why is Paul telling us that story now? Well, it's because, remember, Paul's claim to be an apostle has been challenged by his opponents in Galatia. They were saying, you know, Paul, he's just a second-rate preacher and he's preaching a second-hand gospel. And so to counter that slander, and it was slander, and to solidify the Galatians' trust in the gospel itself, Paul takes time to tell the story of how Christ stepped into his life with the power of the gospel and commissioned him to take that God-given message of salvation to the world. And, and that's the story that we need to hear this morning. 
And so let's begin there. Paul's gospel, he tells us, is not a man-made gospel, but the God-given message of salvation for the world. It's verse 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is speaking plain truth here. The gospel that has been entrusted to him has no human origin. It's not a man-made gospel. It's not the invention of any individual person or group of people. It is the God's honest truth about what God has done through Christ to save men, women, and children who believe. And so Paul says, I want you to know this. Do you know it? You see, this is one of the crucial differences between belief and unbelief. Between a true knowledge of God and not having knowledge of God. Is the gospel the invention of man? You know, just a set of principles that some religious people came up to help you, to help you, you know, live a better life, help you to feel better about yourself throughout the day and, and, and do a little better towards your fellow man. Is, is that what this is or is this God's heaven sent message of salvation for sinners? And you see, that's why this matters. That's why Paul is insistent Upon this, if, if this is just one more religious message among others, then it really doesn't matter that much. And it doesn't have real power. But if it is, as Paul says here, God's gospel, not man's, then it is powerful to save. Uh, Romans 1.16, Paul will later write, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I love the way Paul puts it here in Galatians. Literally what he says here is, the gospel that I gospeled to you is not from man. Or the evangel that I evangelized to you is not from man. That word gospel is where we get our word evangel or evangelism is the word euangelion. And it literally means, as most of you know, good news. Good news. So at its heart, it's news. It's news from heaven. It's news from God. It's not man's news about how we ought to please God, but God's news about he is how He is pleased to save us. And so God is the author of this news. The Holy Spirit is the worker who brings it to our hearts. Christ is the accomplisher who finished it on the cross. Grace is the power of this gospel that works in our lives. And faith is the empty hand that opens to receive this good news unto salvation. It's His, not ours. And so we don't get to change it or alter it or spin it in any direction that we would like, all we can do, all we can do is humbly receive it and rejoice in the power of what God does through it for us. And so Paul says in verse 12, I didn't get this gospel from anybody, but directly through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now again, remember why this is important. Remember what Paul's opponents are saying. They're saying, you know, Paul doesn't really have the true gospel. Not really. 
He's got a second-hand gospel he got from others. He's a, he's a Johnny-come-lately disciple. You know, he's, he's kind of like that drowsy student at the back of the classroom who's half asleep while the apostles are up there telling us what we must really do to be saved. And, and, and he actually missed the most important uh, day of class. That you Gentiles have to become Jews first and that you have to be circumcised and you have to keep the law. He, he missed it. And that's why you shouldn't listen to him. Because he doesn't get it. He's just preaching a hearsay gospel he picked up along the way. That accusation is what has launched Paul into this narrative of how he himself came to believe and how he came to possess this God-given gospel that Christ has commissioned him now to proclaim in the world. And, And so this is relevant to us, dear church, because... Well, frankly, we are the Gentiles Paul was sent to preach to. And if Paul got the gospel wrong, then we are wrong. And our souls are in jeopardy. That's why this matters. And so Paul says, verse 12, I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by anyone, it means. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you remember where that revelation of Jesus Christ took place? We're talking about the road to Damascus in Acts 9. And we'll get there eventually. But that's where Saul, the persecutor of Christ's church, is confronted by none other than the risen Christ Himself in person, called out of His sin into salvation. Nobody witnessed to Paul on that road. No human handed him a tract. Nobody sat down under a tree at a rest stop and explained the gospel to him. I mean, most of us came to Christ in that way, but Paul's story is unique. Paul was uniquely confronted by Christ Himself on that road, arrested, blinded, thrown to the ground in a way that convinced him from that point forward, this Jesus really is who He claims to be. In fact, Paul calls it a revelation, apocalypsis, where we get our word apocalyptic. Uh, Paul's personal apocalyptic encounter with Christ overturned his whole life and radically altered how he would see everything from then on. And so that's the story that he begins to tell in verse 13, which is what we need to see next. That is, the power of the Gospel as seen in the life of and conversion of the Apostle Paul. When we studied John, we got to see how many of the other apostles came to faith. This is how Paul came to faith. Verse 13, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. The word destroy there means like like an invading army would come in and pillage and burn and knock everything to the ground. I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own uh, age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my father. So like any good testimony, Paul begins uh, with his own story of how he met Christ. And more importantly for our purpose here, what he was like before he met Christ. And so Paul's life before Christ, he tells us, was marked by zealous and vicious opposition to Christ and His people. Paul says, well, you've heard the stories. And indeed they had, right? Paul was infamous for his violent persecution of the church. In fact, do you you remember 
how we first encounter Paul in the New Testament when he was still going by the name Saul. Uh, You might turn and look at uh, Acts 7, verse 54. It's the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr to the Gospel. In Acts 7, 54, it says, When they, that is the Hellenistic Jews, that Stephen was debating and trying to share the Gospel with, when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears like your kids will do when they want to hear something. And they rushed at Him. And then they cast Him out of the city and they stoned Him to death. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul! That's Paul. He was there the day that mob crushed the life out of Stephen. He wasn't just a bystander watching. This verse indicates that he was there offering his official approval to what they were doing. In fact, if you pick up in chapter 8, verse 1 of Acts, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Paul says, you've heard about my life back then. How vicious I was. How I persecuted the church. This word persecuted literally means to chase down. Paul began chasing down Christians that day and putting them in prison. He would eventually chase them all the way out of Jerusalem and all the way up the road to a foreign city, Damascus. That's how vicious his opposition was. But why? Why was Paul so dead set on crushing the Christian church? Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He tells us that many times in the New Testament. Not just any old Pharisee. He was an up-and-coming Pharisee. He was the the one to watch. Verse 14 says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. The traditions of my fathers. That's not just the Old Testament. That means all those traditional writings and commands that were added to the Old Testament by the Pharisees, what later came to be called the Mishnah and the Talmud. Uh, Precept on precept, line upon line, added by the rabbis, often twisting the original intent of Scripture. That's, That's what Jesus ran into. That's why Jesus came constantly in conflict with these very Pharisees, but... So Paul is just keeping that opposition going with Jesus' followers. Partly to advance his own career. He admits that here. I mean, Paul was zealous. Paul wanted to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, He was schooled by one of the greatest Pharisees of the day, Gamaliel. And he wanted to, to make a name for himself. And the best way to make a name for yourself at that time as a Pharisee is to go after these heretical followers of Jesus. I mean, Paul was a religious extremist in every true meaning of that word. In fact, he even uses that word, doesn't he? Verse 14, so extremely zealous was I. Listen, if you'd have met Paul in those days, you would not have liked him one bit. 
And he would not have liked you. In fact, he would have hated you and would have tried to put you in jail. And so the last thing you would ever think is that God could ever save a man like that. What? Saul? No way. Isn't it amazing the things God can do? Which brings us into Paul's conversion to Christ by grace alone. Verse 15 and 16. But when God who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anybody. But when God stepped in, Paul says, and I love this, but God in Paul's story. Just as Paul will later write to the Ephesians, he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. But God. Paul has a but God moment in his salvation story. Do you? I mean, if you're a Christian, you do. At that moment that that God stepped into your life sovereignly and Powerfully, when He arrests you and He he turns you from your sin and He brings you home by faith alone. Some of you saved as children. It's it's not that as dramatic. It's certainly not as dramatic as Paul's story. Uh, Some of us who were older, we we, we can actually remember that moment. The point is not that you can spell out that moment, but that it happened. That God revealed His Son to you. Brought you home by faith alone. Acts 9 fills us in on the details of of that story, if you just want to look there, Acts chapter 9, 1 to 6, as Luke is telling the story of the advancement of the church, and he gets to Paul, he says, And Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what Christianity was called at first, men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then words I'm sure that just sent a chill to his bones. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and enter the city and you will be told what you must do. Talk about an encounter. Talk about grace. There is no human explanation for this. For how Saul the persecutor became Paul the preacher. I mean, it is a clear work of God's sovereign grace. And so notice how Paul describes this encounter and this conversion in Galatians. Notice his emphasis on God's initiative. He says, first of all, it pleased God to do this. Um, Most English translations rearrange the order. It pleased God actually comes as the first statement in verse 15 in the original. But but English word order matters more than it does in Greek. So when someone wants to emphasize something in Greek, they can put it in any order they want. Oh, they can. It's just the way that language works different from ours. And um, so the reason he starts with, it pleased God... Because that's really what he wants to make sure you understand. It pleased God. So Paul, 
How did you get saved? Why did you get saved? Because it pleased God to save me. Because God decided to step into my life. One thing is really clear here. Paul is not the seeker. Paul wasn't seeking salvation in Christ, but he was sought out by Christ. The one who came to seek and to save the lost. Listen, when Christ makes the move to capture a man or a woman, there is no force in heaven or on earth that can keep him from having his prey. Uh, I love the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, to say that I was seeking God is like saying the mouse was seeking the cat. (laughs) Second, Paul tells us God chose him by His grace before he ever decided to choose Christ. Again, verse 15. But when He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me. So when was it that God chose to save Paul? Long before Paul ever chose to be saved by God. God chose him first and determined to save him to be His instrument to take the Gospel to us Gentiles. That's... That's a sovereign grace. That's how God operates in a world of rebels who will not come to Him on their own no matter how hard you open the door. Uh, he did the same thing for Jeremiah. In fact, the language is very reflective of Jeremiah one five, when God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So when we talk about a sovereign grace, we mean grace that is undeserved. Grace uh, that uh, is not earned. Grace that God initiates and chooses to give us to enable our faith and awaken us from our sin so that He might bring us home to Him. That's why Ephesians 1 says to all who have come to Christ, to all who have come to Christ, it says we did so because of this grace. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly place. When? How? Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of the glorious grace which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And so when you hear the Gospel, dear friend, when you hear the Gospel, yes, you must choose Christ. Yes, you must turn from your sin and put your faith in Christ. But as you do, know this, that didn't start with you. You didn't initiate that. Grace enabled your faith. In other words, it is His choice ultimately that stands behind your choice. That's the grace. Which is why when He does save you, dear Christian, you don't say, boy, was I smart. (laughs) You say, all praise and honor and glory be to God alone for His indescribable gift of grace. Which is why third, Paul says, He called me by His grace. He did that. It was His gift to me. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, 
that no one may boast. You know, Rockport, we ought to think long and hard and regular about the gift nature of salvation. The grace of it. The marvel of it. The the goodness of it. Paul did not volunteer to become an apostle. He was drafted. But once he was drafted, it became his delight and his joy. And so the one who previously hated God now loves Him. The one who was running from God now runs to Him. The one who refused God's reign now bows in humble submission and embraces Him joyfully with an obedient faith. Has that ever happened to you? And notice, it says, God revealed His Son to me, or really more literally, and the, and, and the, and the, and the uh, translators wrestle with this because it's not good English, but I think Paul's making a point. Literally it says, God revealed His Son in me. For you see, we're talking about an inward work of grace that awakens our hearts and gives us faith to believe. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I awoke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And suddenly Paul got it. He saw it. Jesus really is God's Son, my Savior. And he believed. Paul writes about that experience years later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, when he says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Again, I'll ask, has that ever happened to you? And how I pray that it does. Children, how we as, as your parents and teachers and others pray that it does. Not that you just give a mouth profession of Christ, but that there is a heart change. Heart change. The heart warmed by Christ and awakened by Christ. So you begin to see Christ for who He is as God's gracious gift. To believe on Him for salvation is God's gift. That's why it's so powerful. That's how God saves. It's by grace alone. The result of that grace is Paul is then commissioned by that same grace to take the same gospel to the Gentiles. Because it's the gospel that's the power of God for salvation. And that brings us to the third thing here. And that is Paul's God-given independent testimony of the gracious gospel of salvation. This gets interesting. Verse 16, right at the end, notice he says that when God was pleased to save me in this way, I did not immediately consult with anybody. I didn't confer with any humans. Why is he telling us that? Remember again, remember the accusation. Paul got his second, Paul got his gospel secondhand from somebody. And when he got it, he didn't listen well and he messed it up. What Paul is saying here is, no, that can't possibly be. Because the moment God saved me by His grace, He then kept me from being uh, consulted by anybody. He kept me from being influenced. He kept me from, from meeting with anybody in such a way that I would miss it because He knew He had to do some work on me first. Verse 16, I didn't immediately consult with anybody, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, 
But I went away into Damascus and returned. I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul said, you know, I never even had a chance to get my gospel wrong from somebody. <laughs> I didn't even go back to Jerusalem to hang out with the apostles and, and, and even get it from them. I mean, they were still too scared of me. They were still hiding from me. Instead, God sent me away to Arabia. Arabia, that sounds kind of exotic. Arabia was a much larger area now than when you look at Saudi Arabia. It's a pretty limited area. Arabia back in those days was a large uh, piece of real estate northeast and east and south of Judea. right? Mostly desert, but also with a lot of mountains. It was a good place to get away. Mount Sinai is in Arabia. And so it's possible that Paul, like Moses and Elijah before him, went there, maybe even to Sinai itself, to get alone with God and really to go to the school of Christ. Surely he took his scrolls with him. All those Old Testament parchments that he had been studying his whole life and went back over them, pouring over them, trying to figure out, how did I miss it? How could I have been so wrong? Why didn't I see that Jesus of Nazareth really is the long-awaited Christ? And so with the Holy Spirit's help, he began to piece it all together. And very soon, while Paul is still in Arabia, he began to preach Christ. Um, boldly proclaiming that the Messiah is here. How do we know that? We know because he soon got in trouble, which is sort of going to become a theme in his life. Um, Arabia at that time was ruled by the Nabataean king Eretus uh, from the city of Petra. If you go online, if you've never done this, look up Petra in Jordan these days. And uh, it's that famous city with the beautiful uh, buildings carved into the stone. Most of those buildings weren't there in Paul's day, but, Nabat- but that, was the, that was the capital of the Nabataean empire. And, and so Paul preaching the gospel, gets in trouble with King Eretus uh, for doing that very thing, which is what ultimately sends him back to Damascus. So he ran back to Damascus, but he didn't run far enough because unfortunately, Eratus, let me say it right, Eretus had influence over Damascus. Second Corinthians 11, 32 and 33, Paul tells that part of the story. He says that Damascus, the governor under King Eretus, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and I escaped his hands. Now when you turn to Acts, and Luke tells this same story later, he doesn't mention Arabia. He keeps his focus on Damascus itself because he's really trying to move the story along. But it is the same story. And so let's just pick up Luke's account and at least have that under our belts. That would be Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 19, about halfway through. This is immediately following Paul's conversion. It says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. That's the first time he was there. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. You know, I saw him out there on the road. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he come here? Uh, didn't he come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the high priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus uh, by proving that Jesus was the Christ. 
When many days had passed, so the rest of Paul's testimony, the trip to Arabia, all of that's going to take place during those many days. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him by order of the king. But his disciples took him by night, let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And so Saul is converted. He's a new man. But so far, he's still on his own. He has not had any contact with any of the disciples yet. They're still terrified of him. Uh, He's got his own disciples, people who've believed because of his gospel, but he hasn't met the apostles. Picking up now the story in Galatians 1.18. Then after three years, okay, so three years since his conversion, after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Again, Paul's point. Don't lose sight. I never had the chance to get my gospel secondhand from these others. It was three years before I even met them. Three years of studying and preaching and learning from Christ. Then finally, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to meet with Peter. That's who Cephas is. I love this picture, by the way. Cephas is Peter's natural Aramaic name. That's the name his family and friends would have known him by. And so we have this picture of Paul and Peter, Cephas, hanging out for 15 days as friends. Now, it was kind of touch and go at first. Remember who Paul had been. (laughs) The great persecutor of the church. So uh, Luke tells us, Acts 9 verse 26, that when he first got to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Hey guys, I'd like to meet. (laughs) But they were afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, I love Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had boldly uh, preached in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Paul will later clarify that on that trip it wasn't all the apostles. Specifically, it was Peter at first, and then at some point in those two weeks, James, the brother of Jesus, joined in. James, you may know, had by now come to faith and was beginning to grow in leadership within the church at Jerusalem. Well, where were the other apostles? Why didn't he meet them? Well, remember, they're scattered. Uh, Persecution has continued after Paul began the persecution. Uh, They're busy preaching the gospel in and around Judea and other places where they've gone. And at this point, they're not even aware that Paul actually has become a Christian. So why would they bother to come meet with him? But Paul and Peter had 15 days of sweet fellowship. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? What did they talk about? One scholar says, well, we can be sure they weren't just talking about the weather. No, they talked about Jesus. The word here, get to know or visit, can actually mean to interview. Don't you know Paul had questions? What was it like, Cephas, when you first met him that day in Galilee? 
when you walked on the water. I mean, I heard about that. What was that like? The Sermon on the Mount. I mean, did you take notes? Oh, Matthew did. Good. I want to read those. What did you see when you stood there under the cross and He breathed His last? Or feel when you saw Him that first resurrection morning and He was alive? I mean, don't you know they had a time? And Paul doesn't go into any detail here. I wish he had. But notice what he does tell us. His whole point is that he and that Peter did not add anything at all to Paul's basic understanding of the Gospel itself. Nor was there any conflict between them as if they were preaching different messages. They had and shared fellowship in the same Gospel. They were on the same page. Not only Peter, but James as well, the Lord's own brother, who, whose name is going to eventually be used uh, to, 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 to contradict Paul. But, but, but not James himself. They're all there sharing in the joy of the memories of Christ. By the way, a little sideline here. When Paul later talks about those who saw the risen Christ in person, it's interesting in 1 Corinthians 15 that he focuses on these two with whom he met. 1 Corinthians 15.5 uh, And then He appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Verse 7 Then He appeared to James and the other apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me. Almost like He had their stories firsthand. That's why Paul says in verse 20, In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Right? This is the God's honest truth. Go ask Peter. <laughs> I wasn't there to get schooled by the Gospel. I already had the Gospel. I was already preaching it. Peter and James and I were just sharing our mutual joy in Christ. And then after 15 days, Paul says he left and returned home to Tarsus. That's what verse 21 is basically telling us. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. His hometown, Tarsus, is in that region. Now, once again, there's a little bit more to it than that, too. Luke adds a little more detail. So one last time, I'll, I'll turn to Acts 9, verse, oh, what do I want? 29? And Paul spoke there in Jerusalem. He disputed with the Hellenist. Oh, the, those guys, right? The ones who had killed... Stephen. The ones Paul had been on their side advocating their murder of Stephen and now he's arguing with them with Stephen's message. And they don't like it, but they were seeking to kill him and so when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea, that's a port city, and they sent him off home to Tarsus. They sent him back home. And, and, and Paul would remain there in Tarsus for the next eight years, growing in his faith, serving in the churches, preaching Christ until Barnabas will show up again one day, take him to Antioch where his official missionary service will begin. You can read about that in Acts chapter 11. Which brings us to the last thing very quickly, and that's just Paul's growing influence as a Christian on those who were hearing what God had done for him. Verse 22, and. I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea, the ones he'd been persecuting, uh, that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The story got out. 
How God had taken the chief persecutor of Christians and made Him the primary preacher of Christ. The the very man whose goal in life was to destroy the church was now giving his own life to build up the church. That's a miracle. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Because God did that for us. It was by God's grace so that Paul upheld in that grace, could preach the message and write it on down and pass it down to us that we also, uh, 21 centuries later, might hear and believe. And 20 centuries later since Paul's day. 20 centuries later might hear and believe and be saved. But again, don't miss Paul's point here. Why is he telling us this? Why is he telling the Galatians? Because of the importance of understanding that this God-sent gospel really does have power to save. Even after three years, Paul wasn't personally known among the very churches of Judea that he had persecuted. Literally, he says, they didn't know my face. He wasn't hanging out in Judea, picking up the gospel little bit by little through rumor and innuendo so that he had a false partial gospel that he got it wrong. He was tucked away during those three years and then those eight years in God's grace, growing in the knowledge of the gospel, uh, securing a full understanding with it so that in God's good timing, he could proclaim it to the world. And the impact of his life, I just love verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. What is the result? Glory to God. Glory to God through this gospel. Why? Because this is what God has done for our good. Well, Father, would you help us to embrace by faith that good that is glorious and true that you brought through Jesus Christ preached to the apostles who were with him, and then in incredible mercy gave to the Apostle Paul, a persecutor, a murderer, a hater, transforming him to a preacher, a servant, and one who himself would willingly suffer so much to carry the gospel down to people like us. God, help us treasure this gospel. Help us, first of all, believe it. Help our children believe it. Help the doubter believe it. Help us see it's not man's gospel. It's not a human manufactured message of religion. It is the God-given gospel good news from heaven that saves all those who will repent and believe in such a way that they turn around and say, God, You did it all. It is Your gift. And now my whole life belongs to You for Your purposes, to the praise of the glory of Your grace. Amen.